So I thank you for this time to worship you. And Lord, speak through me to build your church and to encourage your local body here. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence to move freely amongst us. We remove ourselves from the equation that you may be the focus and that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take a seat if you would. Get your Bibles out. And talk a little bit about what I call family history here. Look familiar to you? I, I can do this to this generation. This is, of course, Leave It to Beaver. Melissa, did you recognize this picture at all? Yeah, it's not, yeah. Leave It to Beaver. If I put the Brady Bunch up, would, would you have recognized that one? Yeah. Name, eh? Yes. Okay. Well, just so you know, Leave It to Beaver. Uh, Obviously, it was an American television sitcom. It was broadcast between 1957 and 1963. It's, the reason why I put it up there, because it's, it's attained an iconic status in the United States, with the Cleavers exemplifying the idealized suburban family of the mid-20th century. Notice that he is the, the father, I think it's Ward Cleaver, right? Isn't that his name? He's, he's wearing a suit. Um... You find a man today taking a family picture with a suit on. They just don't, don't do that anymore. Look at what a June Cleaver is wearing. And look at the little boy there. He's wearing a suit, right? I don't think I could get my boys to put on a suit even if I had to physically try and do that on them. And so the little boy was the key. But the, the one who made news recently was this young man, Wally Beaver. I can't remember his, his, his name, but he was pronounced dead last week before he actually died. Did you hear that controversy? Yeah. Tony what? Dow. And then he died the next day, but his family had to come out, and they had to you know, clarify everything and so on. And so I don't know. Is he still alive, little boy, or not? He is. He's the last remaining member. Okay. Now, just look at that picture, okay? Very important, because this next picture is going to really blow your minds away. This, of course, is What? Modern Family. It's a family sitcom. It ran for 11 seasons from 2009 to 2020. It follows the lives of three diverse family setups in suburban Los Angeles. You have a nuclear family, and I believe, I haven't seen this show, but I believe it's this family right here, these two. I think they're the nuclear family that stayed together, and they have some kids. You've got a blended family. They're divorced. It's these two. And then this is the homosexual couple. Okay. A nuclear blended and same-sex family. Uh, this won a total of 22 Emmy Awards from 75 nominations, and it was on the air for 11 years, making it ABC's longest-running comedy series. So again, I say to you, look at these pictures here. This is the mid-20th century to today. They say that a, a, picture, a, a picture speaks a thousand words. 
In this case, it would say maybe a million words between these two. I mean, that is a massive change. There was an article uh, written a few years ago called Five Ways Modern Family Has Changed How We Look at Families. Um, And it says the author is very, very Anastasia Catone, honest. It shows how we once considered controversial this picture of the modern family has become a staple of modern television. Over the years, she writes, the ideals and expectations of families have changed drastically. 50 years ago, actually it's 46 years ago really, the ideal family dynamic was that of a man, a woman, and at least two children. That is this, right? Men and women were expected to settle down, have children, and remain together for the rest of their lives. However, as times, gender roles, and acceptance of different sexualities have changed, you have this. And the author went on to list uh, five uh, ways that this show has portrayed the shift in family ideas over the years. She lists five reasons. Here are three of them for sake of time. Homosexuality, unconventional relationships, I mean the acceptance of divorce and blended families, and then number three, women who have taken on husband-like characteristics. So basically, what we're seeing here in the difference between these two pictures is that homosexuality, divorce, and sex role reversal are now affirmed by our society for the family. Um, In a span of 46 years, how did we go from leave it to beaver to modern family? Well, it's a question, no, this is a question we will answer this morning. And before I do so, I want to lay out some biblical foundations for marriage and family. Get your Bibles out, you're going to get a workout this morning, all right? Get your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1, very beginning, as we define the biblical definition of a family. Genesis 1, 26 through 29. Genesis 1, 26 through 29. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. That's key, he blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So according to the Bible, in the very beginning, God himself ordained the family as the foundation of human society. Therefore, the family was God's first earthly institution. Before there was a government, before there was church, he ordained marriage and the family as the basic building blocks of society. And marriage and the family were created for three reasons according to the text. You can look at your text here. The first thing is that we are to reflect his image. Male and female, he created them in his image. Secondly, we're to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That means that we are to reproduce his image worldwide through what? 
our children. We're to make more people like God. And it comes through the family. God wants to fill the earth, as we see in this passage, with his people. And number three, we are to exercise God's rule, his rule, through the divinely created institution of the family. Now listen to this, to be a blessing to society. Remember, God blessed them. And that blessing was to continue on through the family. The blessings of God continue through the institution, the family that he created to bless society. Okay? Let's turn to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. This is our next text we're going to look at. But that's a real basic understanding of uh, Genesis 1, 26 through 29 in the creation narrative regarding the creation of man. This is a separate account of the same event mentioned in Genesis chapter one, although going into more detail. Then the Lord God said, verse 18, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Just do you have any idea? Do you think that they were smarter than we were back then? I think Adam was? Yes. The effect of sin had not taken place. He was able to name all of those creatures. I have a hard time remembering my wife's name. You know, I... I <laughs> Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, if you remember anything about the, the creation narrative or the story of creation, the first two chapters of Genesis, God created everything in what? How many days? And after every day, what did he say? It's good. Obviously, though, something isn't right. It's not good for man to be alone. So he wasn't done. So in Genesis 2.18, we read that it's not good that man should be alone. And this verse stands out starkly in the biblical creation story. Again, Adam had already given the names to all cattle and the birds of the air and every beast of the field, but there was still one glaring, unfinished aspect of creation. For Adam, there was not found a helper compatible to him. Adam was alone, and he needed a suitable mate. And so God's final act of creation, this is the crowning step that made everything in the universe perfect, was accomplished by the forming of Eve from Adam's rib. And he brought her to the man, and he performed the first marriage. And by that act, God established a family for all time. What the Bible says about the topic this morning is marriage and family. I cannot separate the two. Because when you have a marriage, what do you immediately have? A family. So we're talking about what the Bible says about marriage 
and family. But by that act, God established the family for all time. And the Genesis account says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now Jesus quoted this, Genesis 2.24, and this underscores the sanctity and permanence of marriage as an institution, as a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman. Remember the Pharisees came to him? He says, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered what? Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So he is underscoring, that is Jesus, what was he created in the very beginning, thousands of years ago. Okay, so it does not change. And the reason why it doesn't change is God wants marriage and then the family to be a blessing to society. Okay? So let's look at another uh, New Testament passage. Turn to Ephesians 5. Go all the way to the, near the end of the Bible, from Genesis to Ephesians chapter 5. And here Paul is talking about marriage and the family. Ephesians 5, 22 through chapter 6, verse 4. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we're talking about marriage here in a family unit and how the relationship works between, by the way, two equals. Male and female created, men and women are equal. They're co-heirs, they're blessed with, with similar gifts and so on. One is not inferior. It's just that the wife, by God's decree, is called to submit to the husband. The parents are superior to the inferior children. The employer is superior to the inferior employee. And the church leadership is superior to the inferior, the congregation. That's by God's design. Not in marriage, though. Husband and wife are equal. But the wife is called to voluntarily submit to the headship of the husband. The husband is called to love the wife to sacrifice, to give himself up for verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So obviously we see the marriage and the family unit a picture of what? Or a symbol of what? The church. See that? In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now we get into a different relationship in the family unit, Children, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Once again, what is Paul saying here? We see the scripture underscoring the sanctity and permanence of marriage between a man and a woman as a divinely created institution by God. But there's something else here too. In this passage, I think in great detail, Paul defines the role of a husband, wife, and children for a biblically-based family. And they are to mirror his image as a triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So in the family, you have the father, mother, and a child. Or children. That's a trinity. We're to represent God, the family, as to society. To be a blessing to society. Now, when the family functions by this definition, his definition, God blesses society. However, knowing this, Satan's first attack was on what? The family. Go back in your Bibles all the way to Genesis chapter 3. Okay? Genesis chapter 3. Again, what the Bible says about marriage and family, we're going to look at that this morning. Now, it also, let me say this, that it doesn't mean that if you were raised in a dysfunctional, broken family, that you yourself cannot have your own family and be a blessing to society by following God's definition of a marriage and family, or you yourself individually can still be a blessing and are called to be a blessing to society. You are not bound by maybe a dysfunctional family in your past. But what the Bible says is from the very beginning, the family is the key to a healthy society. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So what did Satan do? He ignored God's design for the family, because who's the head of the family? The man, Adam was. He bypassed the head of the family, Adam. He tempted Eve, the helper, to usurp Adam's position as the head of the relationship and to take leadership. And Adam, who was with her, apparently passively stood by and allowed this to happen. And what happened? Well, mankind fell into sin. So the fall of man was a case of sex role reversal. One of the things that, of course, is now accepted in our society, right? Modern family. It's an attack on the family. Now listen to me very clearly on this next statement. What the rest of the Bible tells us is that when the structure of the family is in confusion, it breaks down and destruction reigns in society. 
Think about that for a moment. When the rest of the Bible, what the rest of the Bible tells us is that when the structure of the family is in confusion, it breaks down and destruction reigns. Look at Adam's family. After the fall of man, what happens? After God has regard for Abel's worship and rejects Cain's worship, Cain is angry and jealous, and what does he do? Right there. He kills Abel. The confused family structure results in rebellious children committing crimes. Cain kills Abel. Now Satan continued his attack on the family, and what does he do? We'll turn to Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. He sends demons or evil spirits to cohabitate with the daughters of men to corrupt society. This is again another attack on the family. Now it came about when men began to multiply in the face of the land and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. They took wives for themselves, whomever they chase, whomever they chose. Then the Lord God said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Again, Satan attacks the family structure. In fact, society breaks down to such an extent, God has to hit the reset button. Look at verses 6 and 7. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Let me stop right there for a moment. Who was in charge? Who was to be? Who was given dominion over the earth? Adam. Man and woman. Adam, Right? Mankind. Because they deviated from God's definition of the family, who suffered? Well, the society suffered. But look what it says here. He has to wipe out what? All the animals, too. From animals to creeping things to the birds of the sky. So it's basically as the leader goes, so goes everything else. Okay? So he destroys the world by a flood. We all know that story. And what does he do? He starts over again with what? Another family, the family of Noah. But tragically, Satan continues his attack on the institution of the family, and humanity falls into the same problem. This may take a while. Turn here to Isaiah chapter 3. When we read this passage, and I explain it to you, you will understand and your eyes will be opened because you will think that I am talking about today. Isaiah 3. 12 through 14, 25 through 26. It says this. My people... Infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. So God is talking to his people, the Israelites. This is my people. Infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. 
The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. Verse 14, the Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. Fast forward to verse 25, your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in battle. And her gate shall lament and mourn empty. She shall sit on the ground. Now Isaiah introduces to us what I call a new puppet for Satan that Satan uses in the attack on the family. Look at that passage again. Who is confusing the people and leading them down the path of destruction? Your, see it? Your guides, what? Mislead you and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. He calls them what? The elders and princes of his people. Okay? Let me rephrase the guides, the elders, the princes of the people with a, a, a word that, or a term I think you can relate to. The government. They're leading the people. They're the government. And they were not leading them in the right way. And thus destruction fell upon them. The government had deviated from God's definition of the family. We see what? Who is leading? Children are pressing. Women are what? Ruling over them. We're men. They're dying by the sword. You see that? The government had deviated from God's definition of the family, and look what happens to society when the government redefines family. See, the family is thrown into confusion. What happens to children? Well, they become rebellious. You see that? They're pressing. Women abandon their biblical role. They're leading. Men become passive and weak. And the structure of society collapses as God enters into judgment against the nation. Now, this is what happened, obviously, in Genesis, right, with Adam's family. All right? Does it sound like this is a, a commentary today? Is the family in confusion? Yes. Are there rebellious children? Absolutely. Women are leading. Men are passive and weak. And yes, we are living in a time where God is entering into judgment against the, our nation, against our country. But what this passage shows us is that when the government redefines what God has already defined, the government is now in conflict with God. And what does God do? How does he respond? In judgment, by giving the society over to what they want. And inevitably, destruction follows. You see, God created the institution of the family, and therefore the, he owns the family. That's his copyright, his trademark. That's his. You can't touch that. Okay? So logically, he defines how the family is structured and functions. And since marriage is the, to be the first step in establishing family, right? God created the institution of marriage, and he defines how marriage is structured and functions. Now, with that being said, let me just draw some conclusions based upon the scriptures we looked at so far and about just some observations about our society and four simple thoughts. Number one, the Bible teaches that it is the role of government to promote and to protect the family as God created it to be. That's the role of the government. Yeah, they keep peace, they, they punish evildoers and they reward those who do good, 
okay? And they are to restrain evil, but they are also are to promote blessing. They're to promote the family. The government used to do that. Look at the cleavers. Leave it to beaver. The Bible teaches, number two, that it is not the role of government to be the family. It is separate from the family, as is the church is separate from the family. By the way, off the top of my head, this is why it doesn't work if, if the family, the husband and the, and the wife, don't teach their kids about God. Well, I see, hear a lot of and see a lot of well. I bring them to church and have the church do that. What did we just read? The husbands, the fathers are to what? Instruct the children the way they should go. The church doesn't raise your family. The family raises the family. The parents raise the family. Number three, today the government thinks it owns the family and has a right to define the family differently than how God defines the family. Modern family, right? Number four, today the government thinks it owns marriage and has a right to define marriage differently than how God defines marriage. So when any entity, whether it be an individual or the government or the church, decides the family should be something different than what it was created by God to be, what, do you do? what happens? They forfeit the blessings that are to come through the family to society, and you bring confusion and destruction. And this is a problem facing society today. Men have redefined manhood to what they want to be, and when men act in accordance to their redefined manhood, since the man is a God-given head, confusion ensues. The result, what do women do? They respond by redefining womanhood to what they want womanhood to be. And this, of course, spills over into marriage. Men have decided what they want husbands to be, women have decided what they want wives to be, and now we can add even more confusion to this, is that sometimes, in some situations, to this disastrous recipe, somehow children today get to decide who their parents will be. In fact, even today, they can decide what sex they want to be without their parents' consent. Is there any confusion as to why there is chaos in the family and ultimately in society? Now, earlier I told you we would answer the question in a span of 46 years, how do we go from leave it to beaver to modern family? In our lifetime, here is how it happened. Actually, you can get that later. Talk about the family and the judgment of God. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We talked about how the family used to be a blessing to society. Okay? But when the family does not function as by God's definition, by his design and structure, judgment happens. So let's talk about that. In Romans 1, starting in verse 18, we have what we call this right here. I'm going to put this all up here for you. Romans 1 is the rejection of God. Man rejects God. He suppresses the truth about God. That which is plainly evident to creation and, and, and to the world, man rejects. 
in my opinion and the opinion of many other people, in our lifetime, you go back to 1962. It's Engel versus Vitel, a decision that many consider the beginning of moral decline. The Supreme Court ruled that prayer in public schools was a violation of the Establishment Clause, and this effectively removed sponsored prayer from public schools. In other words, we said to God, we don't want you in our lives anymore. Stop meddling. So we rejected God. That's the first step. The second step is a, what we call sexual religion, verses 24 and 25 of Romans chapter 1. God gives them over to what they want. All types of perversion. If you look at Wikipedia, you talk about what I call a sexual revolution. And by the way, sexual morality is any form of sex outside of marriage. In the 1960s, America began to go through a sexual revolution that challenged traditional beliefs related to sexuality. This is from Wikipedia. The sexual liberation included increased acceptance of sex outside of traditional heterosexual monogamous relationships, including marriage. By the way, when did Leave it to Beaver end? 1963. What did people start doing? Rejecting that. Okay? So what we see is acceptance of sex outside of traditional heterosexual monogamous relationships, including marriage, the normalization of contraception in the pill, public nudity, pornography, alternate forms of sexuality, including homosexuality, and the legalization of abortion. That all followed when man rejected God, historically speaking. So this is not for debate. This is historical fact. Okay? Which that, of course, as you know, a sexual revolution is followed by a homosexual revolution. What I mean by that, it's when society affirms homosexuality. And in 1973, this is from the psychology department of the University of California, Davis. It says, in 1973, with the changing social norms and the development of a politically active homosexual community in the United States, the American Psychiatric Association declassified homosexuality as a sickness. Think about that. Since the beginning of America, homosexuality was defined as a sickness. But with this change, they stopped classifying as that. In 1986, they began to work intensively to eradicate the stigma historically associated with the homosexual orientation. So now homosexuality is not only acceptable, but it's affirmed and advocated. I remember growing up, I think it was in the, the 84, 85, 86, uh, a, a rock group called Dire Straits. They wrote a song called, you know, I Want My MTV. It included it in the phrase, or the word faggot. The little faggot has his own jet airplane, the little faggot, he's a millionaire. And we laughed at that, right? It was a very, very popular song. Remember that? Yes. I don't think you hear that song anymore. You don't. Now we have a rejection of God, a sexual revolution, a homosexual revolution, and in Romans 1, Paul says this, it's left with a depraved mind. A mind that does things it shouldn't do. This depraved mind justifies murder on a massive scale. That's abortion. It's just fascinating and it's disturbing and it's saddening and it's sickening to watch 
these pro-choice people celebrate and push hard to murder children. Celebrating victories when states make the decision to, you know, with abortion, allow more access to it and so on, to celebrate killing a child outside the womb. That's sickness. But the depraved mind, it, it justifies murder on a massive scale. It fosters hatred towards God and it hardly endorses perverse sexual sin, i.e. the transgender movement, where they're carving up healthy children. A depraved mind does what it should not do. It redefines marriage. Back in 2000, the Dutch parliament passed the first legislation in history that granted same-sex couples the right to marry. Following the Netherlands' lead were Belgium, 2003, Spain, 2005, Canada, 2005, South Africa, 2006, and Norway, in 2008. In 2015, in Obergefell versus Hodges, the U.S. Supreme Court upholds same-sex marriage joining 18 other countries that recognize marriage equality. And most, if not all of us, have been left speechless during the summer of 2020 as the world we once knew no longer makes sense with all the writing that was going on. But this has happened before, folks. Isaiah writes this. You don't have to go there. You can just look this, read the verse up here on the screen. It says, Lord of those who call evil good and good evil, and who put darkness for light and light for darkness, and who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Will means a divine curse, and the specific result is the, of the, this curse is society turning from God and turning upside down truth and righteousness. Speaking on this very topic, John MacArthur wrote, said this during the summer of 2020. I want you to listen to this because it, it's still happening. Fragments of this are still happening even today. While it's necessary to keep law abiding working people locked down at home because of the COVID-19 pandemic, we all know that, and we all know that we were lied to in many ways by all of it. It also appears that it's necessary to let criminals run free in the cities, destroying the very places people earn their living. We saw people uh, from Ohio in our walk yesterday, our hike. We asked them if they were going to Seattle. We advised them, don't go to Seattle. If you go, make it a very short trip and watch yourself. It's not safe there anymore. Our neighbor across the street, the roofing company, they have to go to downtown Seattle. He talks about how unsafe it is. I was talking to, to Joe Hauser. I had lunch or breakfast with him last week. He said the last time he'd been to Seattle was when you interviewed me. That was in June of 2016. It's just not safe there anymore. And if you think it's bad in Seattle, don't even think about going to Portland. We will grind the world to a halt to stop a virus, then remove all restraint when mob rule sets out to destroy a whole nation. We will demand justice when a man's life is taken, George Floyd, and then applaud criminals attacking the police. That is still happening today. We put the police in a position where they can't properly protect property, but rebel mobs are allowed to destroy property. You can't shop in a store, but you can loot it. You can't work, but you're free to steal. You can't attend church, but you can burn it down. Chargers are being brought in these riots, not against the rioters, but against the police. 
We allow evil mobs to bring about destruction, and the twisted solution by corrupt liberal leaders is to what? Defund the police, abolish the police, whose purpose is to be the protectors of the good and the punishers of those who, are, who do evil. What is wrong, he asks. That was in 2020, the summer of 2020. Has much changed in the two years since then? Other than we're tired of wearing masks, and we're balking against these mask mandates, and they've decided that, yeah, we were right from the beginning, we should have kept schools going. Other than that, right is wrong, and wrong is right. Bitter is sweet, and sweet is for bitter. See, we are where we are as a country because God has given America over to a depraved mind that cannot think right. Left to ourselves, we have redefined marriage and family, and the results have been devastating. And perhaps the best example of our twisted thinking is this. It is lawful to murder a child, an innocent child, outside the womb, an infant. But it is unlawful to punish a violent career criminal with these no bail laws. So the question has to be, is there any hope for our country? And what is the hope? It's this. It's that the nation only survives if the family survives. The nation only survives if the family survives. But when the government undermines the family as God created it to be, the nation will not be healed. Crime will not go down. You know, they blamed the former President Donald Trump for the rioting, right, and the, and the crime. Well, he's not in office anymore. We are still seeing what? Record crime. It doesn't matter who's in office. They're not the cause of the problem. What's the cause of the problem? It's the breakdown of the family and the judgment of God that we're under. Order and civility will never be restored to society until the family survives. Healing only take place in society when our elected leaders do two things. They put God back in society and they embrace God's definition of marriage and family. But why would that be the only way there'll be healing to our nation and blessing? Because the family is the foundation. And when the foundation is cracked, society collapses. And this is what is happening when God is removed from society. What I just read to you in Romans 1, you've been, uh, been through it before with you. It's good to be reminded of it. That is a picture of what's happening today. We are living it. We're not observing history from the past. We are living it now. And you'd have to be completely deceived or blinded by an evil spirit to not see that America is under the judgment of God in our lifetime. And so Malachi, the last book of the Bible, issues this warning. I put this up here for us to read. It says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel, Behold, I will send you Elijah, meaning Jesus, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And what will he do? He's going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter 
destruction. So the old, this is the last verse in the Old Testament. It ends with a curse. The last verse, Malachi 4, 6, is that God will strike the land with a curse. Well, why? The family is in chaos. You see that? And when a culture has redefined marriage, the result is failed families, the culture suffers. But Jesus came to do what? To heal what? The family. So therefore, the blessings of God to society can once again flow. Now, Nehemiah, the prophet, understood this, and this is what he said to the people. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, in other words, to the government, he says this, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome in what? What are you to fight for? Your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes for the family. You see, Satan wants to undermine the family, and he's done that very, very well, so he can do what? Destroy society. And he wants to destroy society because he wants to destroy the image of God in the culture, to erase it. So he attacks the family. So the saving of the family is the saving of the culture. Thus, fight for what? The family. Amen? And so the application point is really simple. You want to do something, function more biblically as a family, or if your family's out of the house, pray for them. Pray for their families. Pray for the family to be restored so that the nations and the culture will be blessed. That's what the Bible, in a nutshell, says about marriage and family. If you would stand with me, I'm going to pray. We're going to close with the last song. I think it's, oh, praise the name. So please stand, and I'll pray, and we'll end this service while it's still cool in here. It's not too bad in here, is it? It's pretty good. Let's pray. Lord, it's all about you, and, and I thank you for creating the family. And I know that some of us come from, from many dysfunctional families and broken families and divorced parents and, and so on, but we can still be a blessing to society, and we can still create our own families by your definition to be a blessing to society. Lord, we look to you in all things. And we close with a song to praise your name because you are worthy. And all God's people said, amen.